I'm praying for you. Sometimes I hear that. I like to hear that. Sometimes pastors or friends will ask me, how can I pray for you? Or maybe you say to someone, listen, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Or you'll write a card and say, I, I've been praying for you. Sometimes I want to ask, what you praying for? How are you praying for me? Now, I'm a blessed man. I've got folks praying for me all the time. Uh, right now, I've got uh, 40, well, I asked for 40 prayer partners to pray for 40 days. We're coming near the end of that 40 days, and we got actually not 40, but 56, I believe, folks that are praying with me and for me uh, during these 40 days. And then beyond that, I've got pastor's prayer partners. Uh, I've, I've lost count what we have. I think it's 36 or so uh, that are praying for me on a daily basis. They get a prayer calendar. My deacons are praying for me on a daily basis. So I'm a blessed man. I, I, I've probably got more people praying for me at Mount Airy than anybody else. And I probably need it more than anybody else. My wife says amen to that. Uh, but, but I am uh, a blessed man. But, you know, I was thinking about we know how to pray for certain things. We know how to pray for the lost. Uh, when we're praying for the lost, what, what are we praying for? Maybe we don't know how to pray for the lost. What, what do we pray for when we pray for the lost? Salvation. That's, that's a good example. Uh, a good answer in one word. We're praying for salvation, for conviction of the Holy Spirit, for salvation. What are we praying for, for the, when we pray for the sick? Healing. Uh, we know how to pray for the lost. We know how to pray for those who are sick. But how should you pray for another Christian? Well, you, some, sometimes we say, well, I'm praying God will bless you. Well, that's good, but what does that mean? I, I just pray that God would. We just have his hand of blessing on you. Well, what does that mean? In practical terms, how could you pray for your Christian spouse? Or how do you pray for your children who are Christians? Or how do you pray for another friend who's a Christian? That's what we want to talk about. Thankfully, Paul gave us some very helpful answers to that question as he prayed for his friends uh, at Ephesus and beyond. So I hope you got God's Word with you. I hope you got an outline and... Uh, This is going to be very practical, very personal type study. Uh, And uh, it's really going to give you, I believe, once you get the notes filled out and and we get through the study, I believe you're going to have have a a diagram to go by, have a a template to use in your prayer time as you pray for your spouse or as you pray for your children, as you pray for someone else who's who's a Christian friend. So I just want to read the text with you, first of all, beginning in Ephesians chapter 1. We left off at verse 14, so we'll pick up tonight at verse 15. The Lord willing, go through the, the rest of the first chapter. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every 
title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the what? For the church. We talked about the church today, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Pray with me now. Father, it is with anticipation that we come before your throne of grace tonight asking by faith that your Holy Spirit would be our guide tonight and our teacher. Lord, I pray that because you've said in your word, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come to teach us. and He would remind us. and, And I pray now for your Holy Spirit to open the word to us. Open our eyes, open our ears. May... May the eyes of our heart be enlightened. May the, your spirit give us a complete understanding. And Father, may you show us how can we, we can improve our prayer life as we pray for others who know you. As we learn how to pray better for our spouses. As we learn how to pray better for our children or our grandchildren or our friends. I pray, God, that tonight this will be a time well invested as we sit at your feet and as the Apostle Paul mentors us about how to pray for others. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So how should you pray for another Christian? Somebody that's your spouse or your children or grandchildren, etc.? I've got, I think, what is it, about five things there on your notes that I want you to fill in the blanks. And here, just go ahead and get that out. And let me start with this one. Pray with thanksgiving for what God has already done. Pray with thanksgiving for what God has already done. Here's how Paul starts out. And, and, and he starts out in verse 15, said, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Now, let me, let me ask you a question, see if you've remembered, and, and if you're on target with me. Do you remember what kind of letter we said this letter was probably a, a blank kind of letter? You remember what kind of letter we referred to it as? Circular. Very good. Thank you. That this is probably a circular letter. Here's one indication uh, of that, that it probably was a circular letter. You see, Paul knew the people in Ephesus very well. How long had Paul spent time, how long of a time had Paul spent in Ephesus? You remember? Three years. He, he knew that church pretty well. He spent more time there than anywhere. Uh, so this letter is likely intended not just for the people in Ephesus, but also for other churches as well, some of whom Paul probably had never met. He had heard about them, that's what he says here. I heard about your faith. But these are not people that he had led to the Lord. These are not people that he had pastored or discipled. He heard about their faith in Christ Jesus. Probably an indication that these are people outside of the city of Ephesus, in other churches in that surrounding area, who also had the opportunity to read this letter. It's probably a circular letter. For this reason, verse 15, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... It's interesting that Paul was in prison when he, got, when he wrote this letter. And he couldn't visit those new converts. He couldn't go to their house. He couldn't visit them in their congregation. But he could write them. 
and he could pray for them. John Phillips said the devil had as much reason to fear Paul's prayers as he did Paul's preaching. That's a pretty good word. Do you understand that there are several times in the Scripture where the Apostle Paul prays for people while he's in prison? They're called the prison prayers. I just want you to write these down. You don't have a blank to fill in, but I think it'd be well if you wrote these down. And we might take a few minutes to read them quickly because what he prays as he's in prison is very significant. How he prays while he's in prison is very significant. These are the prison prayers of Paul. Uh, One is right here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And there is another prayer that we'll look at later in Ephesians, not tonight, but in another time of study. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, that's the second prison prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And then the third prison prayer is Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And then the fourth one is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. So, I want you to see what he prayed. This is so interesting to me, the kind of prayers that he prayed. We're going to study the first one tonight, so we won't read all of that. But look at chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so that's one of the prison prayers. Go to Philippians chapter 1. This is a short one, but it's a very important prison prayer. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Here's what Paul prayed. And this is my prayer. Paul's in prison. He's in Rome. He's chained up. Can't go anywhere. Can't go out and visit anybody. Can't go preach somewhere. So Paul takes that opportunity to pray. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me show you one other in Colossians, going over to the right. Another prison prayer, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In none of these prayers, not one of them, did Paul pray for material things. Not one time. He prayed for their relationship with God. He prayed for the people to whom he was writing for their relationship with God. He did not ask God to give them what they uh, 
what they did not have, but rather he prayed that God would reveal to them what they already had. Now, that's a significant statement. He never once prayed, God, give them so-and-so. He never once prayed that God would give them what they didn't have, but he did pray that God would reveal to them what they already had. I I thought it was so significant uh, and important that that I started thinking about it. You know, if you really wanted to improve your prayer life, you might take just a week on the first prison prayer, study it and pray it. Take a second week on the next prison prayer, third week on the third prison prayer, a fourth week on the fourth prison prayer for the entire month, study and pray the prison prayers of Paul. And not once does he pray for somebody's ingrown toenail. Not once does he pray for some material need. Now, now, please, I'm not making fun of that. I know that there are real needs and we need to pray for real needs and pray for people who are hurting and pray for their provision. I understand that. There's nothing wrong with praying for those things. But so often that dominates our prayers. And we don't pray for people spiritually. We don't pray for their relationship with God. The closest we get to that is God, God bless them. God help them. God teach them. But the Apostle Paul prayed deeply for people that they would understand what they already have in God. Let me give you an example of that back in Ephesians 1.18. We'll study this in a moment. Let me just show you an example of what I'm talking about. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul is saying, you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying your eyes will be opened. I'm praying your eyes will be open and you'll understand what you already have in Christ Jesus. So folks, if you want a a way to pray for your family, pray for your spouse and your children and your grandchildren, it's a great prayer to pray, one of Paul's or all of Paul's prison prayers. Now, let's go back and we're going to pick up this prison prayer. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to notice this great prayer begins with thanksgiving. Thanking God for what he's already done in the lives of these new believers. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Isn't that beautiful? Paul's confined to a prison cell. Paul's future does not look too bright. We can fast forward the story and we understand that Paul will eventually get out of prison, but... He will later be rearrested, later put in the Mamertine prison, and later executed by Nero. His future is not very bright. And as Paul is in this prison cell, chained, his heart is filled with gratitude. His heart is filled with gratitude because of what God has done in the lives of the people in Ephesus. Because God has brought salvation to the people around the city of Ephesus and the, the countryside of Ephesus and other little churches that started popping up around that area where he had pastored for three years. And as he sat in that prison cell, rather than just, rather than just being poor me and all the horrible things that have happened to me and all oh, just the struggles that I have here in this prison, Paul says, listen, I just can't stop thanking God for what he's done in your life. Can I give you a way to pray for your family? Pray for your family this way. Start by thanking God for what He's already done in their lives. Start by thanking God that your kids know the Lord, if they do. Lisa and I are so, 
so blessed. We, we got three kids, and all three of them know the Lord. You're blessed like that, some of you, aren't you? Your kids, maybe even your grandkids. Your spouse, your wife, your husband, they know the Lord. How do you pray for them? Start right here. Start by thanking God that He's given you a Christian husband. Start by thanking God. He's given you a husband who knows the Lord and loves the Lord. Start by thanking God. He's given you a Christian wife. He's given you a wife that loves the Lord Jesus. Start right there. That's where Paul started. He, he couldn't stop giving thanks to God for what God had already done. Before he started asking God for something else, for somebody else, he wanted to stop to say, God, I just want to thank you for what you've already done in their lives. This reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Somebody said, I was reading as I was studying, somebody said, you know, how did Paul do all the praying that he did? Because he kept saying things like this a lot, you know, I've never stopped praying for you. I, I pray for all of you, it says in Philippians. I pray for you, all of you. I pray for you all the time. So how did Paul do all this praying? And one commentator said his best theory is this. He said, Paul, he said, you've got to remember that when Paul went from city to city, he walked there more than likely. It's very unlikely that, that well, in fact, I know he didn't get in a car to go there. I know he didn't get on an airplane to go there. He might occasionally have gotten on a boat to go somewhere. But most of the time, as he walked 20, 30, 50, 250 miles from city to city across the country, most of the time, as he got from place to place, he was walking there. I really believe that as he was walking, he was talking to the Lord. As he was walking towards Ephesus, perhaps, he was talking to the Lord about those people that he knew there people who had, had a relationship with him or as he was walking away from Ephesus he was talking to the Lord about the people that he was leaving there or he was talking to the Lord about the people he was heading towards maybe maybe we could increase our prayer time if we did some walking and some talking that might work mightn't it just might work so Paul says I, I just thank the Lord for all the things that he's done here's the second way you can pray First is pray with thanksgiving what God's already done. Number two, pray that they might know God better. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Folks, we could stay right here for the rest of the night and talk about that one verse. Let's try to dig into it just a little bit. You know, the highest knowledge of God possible is the knowledge of God. Or, I mean, the, the highest knowledge possible is the knowledge of God. You can't know anything greater than knowing God. Now, the atheist claims there is no God to know. The agnostic states that there, if there is a God, you can't know Him. But Paul states, I'm praying that you'll not only know Him, I'm praying that you'll know Him better and better and better. Did you under, do you understand that we need and we can grow in our knowledge of God? It's not enough to know God as Savior. You also need to grow in that knowledge so that you know Him as Father, and you know Him as Friend, and you know Him as Counselor, and you know Him as Comforter. That's growing in your knowledge of God. Not just knowing more things about Him, but knowing Him in a different way. 
And the better you know Him, the more satisfying your life is going to be. Knowing, not, again, not just knowing things about Him, but knowing Him in a better way. Knowing Him in a deeper way. And here's how you can pray for your spouse. Here's how you can pray for your children who know the Lord. He says, I keep asking, and I like that, not just I ask once. I keep asking. I keep praying about this. Keep praying for your spouse. Don't stop, don't give up praying for your spouse. Don't stop, don't give up praying for your children. Don't give up praying for your, your, for your grandchildren or your friends. He says, and, and don't stop praying for your BSF class. Don't stop praying for them. How are you going to pray for your BSF class? Here's how you pray. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now somebody talk to me for a moment. I've done all the talking so far. He says that, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What spirit is he talking about there? It's not a trick answer, or a trick question. The Holy Spirit. He's referring to the Holy Spirit in this way, though. He refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of what? Spirit of wisdom and revelation. What's wisdom? We talked about that recently, didn't we? Wisdom, basically, we've been talking about that on Wednesday nights. Wisdom is, is basically... Uh, knowing the right thing to do without learning the lesson the hard way. Wisdom is basically having God's insight on a particular situation. That might be a good way to describe it. It's God's insight into a particular situation. That's wisdom. The book of Proverbs talks about wisdom, gaining wisdom, and that we gain wisdom from God, and we gain wisdom from God's Word. Proverbs, throughout the whole book of Proverbs, nearly every chapter talks about the value of gaining wisdom. And I would encourage you, I've done this many times, I've encouraged you to read the book of Proverbs. Uh, read one chapter a day. What is today? April what? Six. April 6. So today you'd read Proverbs chapter 6. Tomorrow you read Proverbs chapter 7 because it's April 7th, etc. And you can read through the whole book of Proverbs one chapter a day for the entire month and you will gain God's wisdom by God's Word and God's Spirit. So Paul says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and, what's that next word? Revelation. Here's what he meant. There are certain things you don't know unless God reveals it to you. There's certain things that you don't know about anybody unless they reveal it to you. Now, I'll give you a couple of silly examples. Everybody here tonight, every one of you could say, you know, I know Pastor Keith Shorter. And that's nothing to, be, to brag about, but every one of you could say that. Every one of you could say, I, I know Keith Shorter. I know him. I, I've met him. I've talked to him. I've heard him. I've shook his hand. I, I've had dinner with him. Uh, whatever. I, I know Keith Shorter. In fact, I know Keith Shorter so well that I know his favorite drink. And what is his favorite drink? Nobody had to say, I have no idea. We all know his favorite drink. How did you know my favorite drink? I talk about it all the time, right? <laughs> I have revealed to you 
I've revealed that to you. Again and again. That's right. And it's worth it. I'm, in fact, I'm getting thirsty right now. I'd like to have one right now. All right, so here's the test. You know my favorite drink. What's my favorite candy? Huh? <laughs> I've really got two, but, but what's my favorite candy? Somebody tell me. Okay, I got three. <laughs> it's really hard for me to decide on candy, but Reese's Cup is one of them. I got four. <laughs> I, I basically like anything that's chocolate, right? Anything that's chocolate. Well, that's okay, but here, here's, here's really my favorite. My, my all-time favorite, there, there's two. And if I had to pick one, I'll tell you which one I'd pick. My all-time favorites are, are Snickers. And the one I probably like even more than that, the one I buy probably more than I buy Snickers, is M&M peanuts. Peanut and M&M's. You give me a Pepsi and a big bag of peanut M&M's, and I am one happy preacher. Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah. Hint, hint. Uh, I just revealed that to some of you. Some of you didn't know that, right? We could keep going on. I could tell you about all kinds of things about me, but you're not going to know it unless I reveal it. Paul says, here's what I'm praying. I'm praying for you new Christians in Ephesus or wherever you're reading this letter that God would give you the spirit of wisdom. The Holy Spirit would give you insight. The Holy Spirit would give you His insight into your life and the spirit of revelation so that he would reveal things to you. Listen to, listen to this. He would reveal things to you you cannot get on your own. He would reveal things to you you wouldn't know on your own. That he might reveal things to you that you cannot discern with your human capacity. Knowing God takes more than intellect. Knowing God takes more than a good IQ. Knowing God takes the Holy Spirit of God revealing Himself to us. And if you really want to pray for your wife or your son or your daughter or your husband or your friend or your BSF class, pray that the Spirit of God would bring wisdom and would enlighten their minds so that they could know what they couldn't know on their own. So that's the second thing to pray. All right? Number three. Pray what? That they might what? Pray that they might... I don't have my outline here. What does it say? You know, I wondered why you're not writing down everything. I'm telling you, the preacher notices when the preacher's wife is not taking notes. <laughs> It's like, okay, I don't know what's wrong here, but she ain't into this one. She's not following along. <laughs> I am striking out tonight. <laughs> oh, mercy. I even forgot where we, where we are. All right, number three. Here it is. Pray that we might know God's calling. Pray that we might know God's calling. The word called is an important word in the Christian vocabulary. By the way, the word church is a combination of two Greek words that means called out. 
Paul says, I'm not only praying that you'll have wisdom and, and revelation through the Spirit. He says, I pray, verse 18, the first part of the verse. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The eyes of your heart. You see, you don't see spiritual things with physical eyes. You don't see things of God with simply your physical eyes. It's the eyes of the heart that needs to be enlightened, that needs to be opened. And so Paul is praying for these young Christians in Ephesus and the other churches that surrounding uh, the, the city of Ephesus in that area. And he's praying, I, I want you to know something. I want God to open your eyes so that you would know the hope of your calling. The hope to which he has called you. Now, let's talk about what that means. You might know the hope to which he has called you. What do you think that is referring to? Somebody tell me. What do you think that's referring to? Salvation? Absolutely. That's part of it. Salvation? All right. I'm sorry? The work He wants you to do? All of those are good answers. The hope to which He has called you. What's our ultimate hope? Heaven. Think about this. City Ephesus is still in existence today, but it's in ruins. Uh, it used to be, many years ago, it was, back in Paul's day, a very wealthy city. It boasted the Temple of Diana. It was one of the, the wonders of the, of the ancient world. The, 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 uh, the grandeur there was amazing. It was just such a wealthy center. And now Ephesus is simply an archaeologist's paradise. It's a tourist spot, but it's crumbled. But the Christians who once lived in Ephesus, that Paul had prayed for, are now in heaven today enjoying the hope of their calling. Enjoying all that God has prepared for them. Dr. Kenneth Chafin was a well-known Baptist author who tells about the pastor and the deacon who went to visit uh, this, some prospective members. And they drove up to a beautiful suburban home. This is one of those houses where it just really impressed you when you walked up. Just a gorgeous green velvet lawn. Two expensive cars in the driveway. Had this huge window, and they looked through the window, and he's got this huge TV there. This was long before the days of a flat screen TV, but it was a huge TV in the living room. Beautiful furniture, beautiful house, beautiful setting. And they saw the prospective members sitting in the chair and enjoying everything in his home. And the the church member turned to his pastor and he said these words, true story, the deacon turned to his pastor and said, what kind of good news do we have for him? What do we have to offer him? He already has everything. Listen carefully. You can have all of that and still have nothing. The hope of our calling is those things that we cannot get materially. The hope of our calling is everything that He offers us through Jesus Christ. The hope of our calling is a relationship with God and all that that means and all that that will entail eventually ending up in heaven. Paul says, I, I pray, verse 18, also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. 
Also, the fourth thing you can pray is this. Pray that they might know God's riches. He refers to this. It's a little hard to understand at first, so follow carefully. <clears throat> he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which is called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This phrase, it appears, does not refer to our inheritance in Christ, but his inheritance of us. Now carefully follow me. This is an amazing truth that God would look on us as part of his great wealth. Look at it, read it carefully. The riches, not of our glorious inheritance, but the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Somebody said, you know, it's amazing what happens in that transaction of salvation. Said, here's what, here's what we get in that transaction of salvation. We get God. You know what God gets in the transaction of salvation? He gets us. Now, who gets the better deal? <laughs> Easy question, right? Why in the world would, would God offer us that kind of a transaction? The only way I can, I can explain it to you is there is amazing love involved in that. And so Paul says, I want you to understand that. And it's kind of hard to understand. He's, let me read it again, verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, might be opened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul is basically saying this. God deals with us on the basis of our future, not on the basis of our past. He deals with us based on the basis of his love for us, not on the basis of what we have to offer him. Do you remember when, when God said to Gideon, cowardly Gideon, uh, you are a mighty man of valor? He wasn't a mighty man of valor. He was hiding. But God was dealing with him based upon his future, what he would become. Or when Jesus said to, uh, to Peter, you are Simon, but you'll be called Cephas or Peter, a stone, a rock. Uh, that didn't, that's not what people would think of Peter. But he was referring to him as to what he would become. You see, we Christians live in the future tense, and our lives should be controlled by what we're going to become in Jesus Christ. And so he says, I want you to understand something. I'm praying about this. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. God loves you in an amazing way, and he's got a great plan for you. And I want you to understand that. He's praying about that. Here's the fifth thing that you can pray. Number one, we're going to pray with what? Thanksgiving, what God's done. done. Number two, pray that they might know God better. Number three, pray that, th that they might know God's... Number four, pray that they might know God's... Number five, pray that they might know God's power. And we want to camp out here for a few minutes, verses 19 through 23. Here's how Paul describes it. He said, this is something else I'm praying for. Well, let's start in verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which is called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And here's something else I'm praying for. 
His incomparably great power for us who believe. I, I want you to be aware. I want the eyes of your heart to be opened so that you can understand His incomparably great power towards us who believe. You need to understand that. Ladies and gentlemen, I pray. If you want to say, Pastor, how can I pray for you? That, that, there would be one of the things I'd ask you to pray for. That'd be one of the things I'd ask you to pray for. Pray that the eyes of my heart would be, at, be opened so that I could understand His incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, He did not say His great power. What was the word He put in front of, of great power? Incomparably great power. What does that word incomparably mean? Huh? Can't be compared to there's nothing like it. Paul says, listen, here's what I'm praying for you. I pray that you'll have an understanding. The eyes of your heart will be open, not your physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart will be opened so that you can understand the incomparably great power he has. And what's that next word? Towards us. Isn't that what he says? For us. Let me read it. I'm going on memory. Let me go back to it. His incomparably great power for us who believe. And so, in case somebody says, well, what kind of power are you talking about? He explains it. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Oh, that kind of power. Resurrection power. It's a good verse for us to, to be reading as we're getting ready for Easter. Paul says, I want to remind you of something. And here's what I'm praying. That you're going to know His power. And I'm not just talking about a little bitty, itty bitty power. I'm not just talking about, well, I hope He has the power. Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be opened so that you understand the power that He has towards those who believe or for those who believe. And here's the power it is. It's the same power that brought Jesus up out of the grave. I'm going to say something, you get ready, get ready because you're going to want to say amen. All right, here's what I want to tell you. God's power has not weakened. It has not weakened. God's not any less powerful today than He was on the first Easter. And Paul says, so that's why I'm praying. I'm praying for you, church. That the eyes of your heart would be opened and you would understand His incomparably great power. What kind of power? Resurrection power. Look how he describes it further. Which he exert, verse 20, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and, that wasn't all, and seated Him as his right hand, at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above... All rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Let's stop there. There's so much we could talk about right there, but just think about it for a second. He says, here's how much this power is. He not only raised him from the dead. That would be amazing. He not only raised him from the dead, he raised him a little bit higher than that, didn't he? He raised him how high? In the heavenly realms, took him up to the heavenly realms. All right? And he describes it this way in verse 21. Far above, far above what? 
all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. In other words, he's, he's saying, think about the most powerful person you can ever imagine. Think about the most powerful person you've ever read about. Think about the most powerful person or people in the world today. And Jesus was raised not only out of the grave, he was not only raised up to the heavenly realms, he was raised above every physical power you can imagine. It's powerful. And then he goes on to put it this way. By the way, and I'm not trying to be political. Here's what I want to say. That means he is more powerful, the Lord Jesus is more powerful than any president, any king, any ruler, any dictator. He is powerful overall. Now, here's what he says. And, verse 22, and, that's as if that wasn't enough. Well, I'm sorry, I left out something in verse 21. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title, so every title that can be given. And then I like this, not only in the present age, not only right now when he was writing, not only in the, in the present age, the most powerful person was Nero. Emperor was the greatest power and the greatest title. But Paul says, you know what? This power that I'm talking about, it's greater not only than, than any power in the present age, but how, what is it, how did, does he describe it? In the, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In other words, this power that raised Jesus up out of the grave, raised him higher than that to the heavenly realms, raised him above every form of power in the world, Paul says, and it doesn't just apply to today, it applies to all time. All of history. Verse 22. And God placed all things, not some things. God placed all things, not most things. God placed all things under his feet. Adrian Rogers used to say, you just remember, and he had this great voice. He he used to say, you just remember that everything that's over your head is under his feet. God placed all things under his feet. This is how high he has raised him. This is how great the power is. Whatever is over your head is still under his feet. And God placed all things under his feet and, that's not all, appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church. Let me go back to preaching mode. This morning, I stood here, and I said to you, lots of people talk about my church. I want to tell you something one more time. It is not my church. It is not your church. It is His church. He is head over it. Appointed by... He has been appointed by the one who raised Him out of the grave. He is appointed as head over the church. That is not debatable. That is not discussable. That is fact. He is head over the church. Which is his body, verse 23. Which is his body. The church is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. How can we pray? Pray that, what was number five? Pray that we might know God's power. 
Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. You might know the power that is available to you, the church. And so I want to close tonight by asking you, or suggesting to you, some ways you can pray for one another, and ways you can pray for your pastor, and ways that you can pray for the church. Wouldn't it be amazing if we just kind of covenanted together and say, you know what? I'm just going to pray this for my family. For the next several days, I'm just going to pray this for my wife. I'm going to pray this for my husband. I'm going to take one day and I'm going to pray this for my daughter. And then I'm going to pray this for my son. I'm just going to use this as my template. And I'm going to pray these five things. Then those days when I'm praying for my pastor, I'm going to pray for my pastor this way. I'm not just going to pray that God would bless him and God would help him and God would teach him. And and I appreciate all those prayers. But if you need to get beyond that, we're going to go a little deeper than that. You just use this as your guide. Use this as your prayer calendar. Use this to show you how to pray for your pastor. And finally, in this month called I Love Mount Airy, in this month where we're celebrating who God is and what God's done and is doing in our church, I can't think of a better thing for you to pray for your church than this. Pray with thanksgiving for what God's already done at Mount Airy. Pray that we might know God better. Pray that we might know God's calling as a church family. Pray that we might know God's riches and what is already available to us. And Pray that we might know God's power. I close with a quick story. I've shared it before years ago. Some of you never heard it. Uh, Ken Hemphill is a name. Ken has been here actually before and preached for us. And many of you know that name. Ken Hemphill went to a church as a pastor one time, and it was brand new at the church. I think it was when he was at First Baptist Norfolk. Brand new at the church, and uh, sitting down with with a committee of sorts, and they were talking about some of his future plans, and and his future plans were pretty big, and and it was the dollar marks were pretty big, and and one lady. Uh, just became critical of his plans and his dream and his vision that he felt like God had given him. And, and uh, she was pretty vocal about it. She didn't believe that they could or should do that. And she finally said it this way. She said, well, Pastor, do you know what your problem is? He said, well, my wife has a list, but if you want to add to it, go right ahead. She said, Pastor, your problem is this. You don't know these people like I know them. Now, remember, he's a new pastor there. You don't know these people like I know them. They ain't never given like, this, like that, and they're, and they're not ever going to give like that. We can't afford this. He said, ma'am, do you know what your problem is? She said, excuse me? He said, maybe you don't know my God the way I know him. When you get to know him better, you'll trust him more. Amen? Father, I pray that you'll help us to get to know you better. 
so we can trust you more, serve you more, and love you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.